Uh, let's all stand. As Robbie just prayed, we are here to lift high the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus. And um, this first song we're going to do was was really just kind of born out of the, the book of John, uh, which through the Bible it proclaims Jesus as many things and he is everything to us. But in the book of John, there were seven statements that, that Jesus said, I am this. And this song has all seven of those in it. So let's just lift high the name of Jesus this morning.
Well, I think it's very appropriate that today we would be in Second Peter because of uh, the time spent uh, in the first of the service with an update and introduction maybe for some in terms of uh, grace school theology. Um, what better book to turn to and address an issue uh, that uh, certainly is a part of even the church today and that's false teachers. Um, then having gone through as a pastor uh, many times of uh, people questioning the faith and doctrine and such and, and so I really appreciate the education the Lord's allowed me to have uh, over the years um, being at Southeastern Bible College was a thrill uh, for me uh, from 1982 to 1988 and to be able to, to then start uh, my master's program which did take me 26 years um, as was mentioned maybe two or three times this morning that is kind of excessive but um, the Lord did, uh, as, you, as I look back, I have to share this with you before we get into Second Peter. As I look back, I think, man, Lord, you're just in control. Right? I mean, you look at the history of, of your life and you think, man, Lord, you're just in control. I mean, all these things take place and sometimes we wonder why in the world did this happen in this order. But, but you know, at the end of the day, God's in control. He's the one that's in control. And so I didn't plan on being a student at 50 years old, I promise you. But as one said earlier, and I caught it, um, we're students all the time. Right? That doesn't end. So you're like, I have this degree and that degree, so what? I mean, we are all students of God's Word. We're to be students of God's Word all the time. And so I just want to encourage you to pray about, think about you becoming a student at Grace School of Theology, beyond your wildest dreams, like, ah, that, I can't do that. Well, you know what? Yeah, you can. With the help of the Lord, you can do that. And all it's going to do is strengthen you and deepen you in your walk with the Lord. And that's, that's what it's all about. Um, I did want to mention an opportunity coming up um, that, uh, with Thomas Beavers. Thomas Beavers is a friend of mine, and um, he's a pastor, as Robbie said, at New Rising Star. And they're going to be having NARD with them at the end of this month. Y'all... Many of you are familiar with Nard. He's the one that flies the helicopters. And so they're going to have a helicopter um, at there uh, that day, and they're going to do, do rides and so forth. And we'll put something in the bulletin next week. We'll have it for you. So is it in there today? Somebody say yes or no. No, thank you. And so we will have something in there uh, next week. You know, we had them over here to our church uh, back when we had missions conference. You guys remember that? 
And they came uh, one of the Sundays and really enjoyed the fellowship uh, with us. In fact, that was Thomas' takeaway, was we really enjoyed being with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, one of the things that um, is difficult, a difficult discussion, but it's true, is that um, there's racial barriers that exist in our culture. And who better than the church to help mend those things, right? And so the Lord, um, the Lord is, I think, doing that through Thomas and through other uh, churches, other fellowships, and I'm having an opportunity to meet with them and be with them and fellowship with them. And I just want to encourage you, as we'll put it in the bullets next week, but, but we need to make ourselves available uh, to them. They invited us to come. Uh, we, they came, like I said, for our mission conference, and we want to return uh, the favor, so to speak, and get to know them and fellowship with them. So if you can at all do that, we'll try to have some details uh, for you about that uh, next week. All right, well, this morning we are going to spend just a few minutes. Uh, there's no way, if you've looked at that outline, that we're going to get, because um, of the beginning of our service today, which was a great, great time, but there's absolutely no way to cover all of what we need to uh, this morning. I do want to begin with um, just maybe a, an analogy that might help you as to what's going on here in Second Peter chapter 2. Um, in chapter 1, just as a review, you remember chapter 1 is about growth in Christ. He, he told them they've been given everything they need for life and godliness, and he encourages them to grow in their relationship with Christ. Just like all of us need to be encouraged to grow in our relationship with Christ. And at the end of that chapter, he says, look, you grow in your relationship with Christ through the more sure word of God. That's how we grow. We have the full revelation of God. You know, there is nothing that prohibits us from opening that book every day. Nothing except ourselves, right? And <laughs> we are our greatest enemies, I think, when it comes to that, because it, there's a tendency to put it off. How many times in your day have you gone through and thought, I'm at the end of my day, man, I haven't even opened the Word today, right? We're all kind of guilty of that at times, all of us. And so in that first chapter, he spends time talking about the growth piece in their life as believers, and boy, he makes a radical change in chapter 2. He goes from that growth piece to a warning. He begins to warn them about people who are among them who are not truly believers. And the warning, as we have seen, is very stern. Now, I want you to think about this, this word warning, right? So at the end of quarters in the NBA... You'll have an announcer in the building, and he will announce this as they're playing the game. Two minutes left, two minutes. You ever heard that in a basketball game? None of you watch the NBA, but that happens, right? Well, in football, at the end of the, at the half, they have a two-minute warning. At the end of the game, there's a two-minute warning, right? Well, there's a warning that we're all familiar with in the South, and that's the sirens. And when that tornado warning goes off, right, people are like, I mean, if you watched or listened to the news when there's a tornado warning here in the south, people pay attention. I mean, they may just be kind of going through their day, and that warning goes off, that siren goes off, and it's like, whoa, all hands on deck. We are bracing for potentially bad weather. We all pay attention to that. Well, this is a warning. And Peter wants them to pay attention to the warning. And he begins to describe these false teachers in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. 
And then he talks about the outcome. What's their destiny? And their destiny is separation from God for eternity. And as we come to verses, um, verse uh, 10, at the middle of verse 10, he begins to put some meat on the bone, as we talked about, in relationship to defining who these guys were. And we talked about last time, if you remember together, he focused on their attitude, all right? In verses 10 through the first part of verse 10, Verse 13, Peter focuses on their attitude. What was their attitude? Do you remember? They were arrogant, all right? They were arrogant, and they displayed that arrogance. It was right in front of them. They were arrogant people, and we talked about that issue last time. And so we move this morning to the issue of their behavior. That's our focus this morning. And like I said, there's absolutely no way we're going to get through verse 14, but we will give a little bit of attention this morning to verse 13, which I think is very important for us to understand. Um, what's going on here in relationship to the behavior of these false teachers? Notice at the middle of verse 13 what it says. It says, They, are, uh, they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. And you're like, wow, what in the world is Peter talking about, right? You read those verses, you're like, what is he talking about? Well, I believe that Jude gives us some uh, better understanding of that in the context. And most theologians believe that what Peter's addressing here is when the believers came together what, for what was called the love feast. When they came to celebrate. And part of the love feast was the celebration of the Lord's Supper, of his death, right, his burial, and his resurrection. They came together to remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do that. We have the Lord's Supper from time to time. We have that time to come together to remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, these love feasts were more than just that time, which that was a part of it, but they actually ate together. And they quote-unquote fellowshiped together. But in the midst of them were these guys. In the midst of them were these who were false teachers. And it's interesting that as you go through the language of the text, Peter has some very descriptive terms that we need to understand concerning their behavior. Now remember, all of this was, is within the context or framework of believers coming together for what was called the love feast. And we'll speak more about that in just a few minutes. I wanted to find some terms because I think it's very important for you to understand just how calculating these guys are. All right, so you see the first part of verse 13. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. The word count here is a mathematical term. All right, these aren't just a bunch of uh, lazy lugheads who have no right plan. They do. And the word count here kind of gives some credence to that. The word count means to give careful thought to something. The question becomes, what are they giving careful thought to? And Peter answers that question. So this is a mathematical term. They're giving consideration. They're giving thought to something. Um, and we're going to get to that in just a second. So notice it says, they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. Um, the word pleasure here means enjoyment or satisfaction. Or satisfaction. Now remember, at the heart of these false teachers, at the center of their world is who? Self. At the center of the believer's world should be who? Christ. 
But at the center of the false teacher's world is self. Now we should be very op- the very opposite of that. Their, the center of their world is self. The center of our world is Christ. Is that true in our lives? That's a challenge to think about. The center of my day today is Christ. But it's not just Sunday because I'm here with other brothers and sisters in Christ, but the center of Monday is Christ. The center of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. As we go along, every single day, the epicenter of my life is Jesus Christ. That's what it should be. They say, Peter says here about these false teachers, they count it a pleasure and enjoyment to revel in the daytime. Now, the word revel gives us an idea of what's going on here. The word revel means to indulge in a self-satisfying or self-gratifying lifestyle. It also can have the definition of an out-of-control party. Right? Um, In fact, if you were to go back and do a little bit of reading historically, out-of-control parties went on in the Roman world. Did you know that? And out-of-control parties go on in our world. Did you know that? Well, if if you know anything about the history there of the Roman culture, out-of-control parties took place at night. But notice, under the cover of darkness, but notice what Peter says about these guys. They counted it a pleasure to do what? To revel in where? In the daytime. Notice it says, to revel in the daytime. And so Peter is, is acknowledging the fact that these guys, listen, They're even beyond what the Roman culture was. They go so far as to party in the daytime. Um, I like the way Wayne Barber puts it. He says, um, reveling in the daytime indicates they had no shame about their behavior. Um, Guys, Let's talk about behavior as it relates to us. Does behavior matter? Does behavior matter? Absolutely. Can I tell you some good news? People are always watching you. And do you know the ones that are watching us that we feel like they're not even paying attention to us? You know who those are? Children. I mean, you could be lecturing your child at home and think, man, they're not even listening. Next thing you know, they're asking a question about what you just said. You know, I didn't know you were paying attention. These kids this morning, they pay attention. You know how I know? Because after church, they'll come up and say something to me. But they don't look like they're paying attention. Right? Behavior matters. People are always paying attention to us. I've said this, and I'm going to say it until... The Lord comes for me, or comes for all of us that are in Christ. Part of that behavior these days where we can kind of separate ourselves as believers is being careful what we put on Facebook. Can I say that out loud? Did I just say that out loud? That we're careful. Because people are reading everything that you or I put on there. All right? Well... Reveling in the daytime indicates these guys had no shame. They had no shame at these love feasts. It was all about themselves. You know, when we come together, it's not all about us. 
whether it's on a Sunday morning or whether we're coming together to, to have the Lord's Supper or whether we're having fellowship together, it's all about him. Then he goes on to describe them a little bit further. Notice what he says at the middle of 13. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions. Now, early manuscripts have the term love feast there for, for uh, deceptions. Reveling in their deceptions as they carouse. Now, notice that little prepositional phrase. As they carouse with who? What's that last word? You. They're with you. Now, you think about the context of what Peter's saying. These false teachers aren't hanging outside the fence. They're with you. Now, that's scary. You know what? They're in the church today as well. Notice the way he describes them. He describes them as stains. <laughs> um, Peter doesn't hold back on his description of these guys. He says they are stains. The word stains describes dirty or filthy spots. Um, we'll see this in Jude, but in the context, you know, dirty or filthy spots are not always visible. True? True. You wear a white shirt, you get mud on your shirt, guess what? People are going to see that. But there are some things that you can wear where you have a dirty spot and they can't see it. It happens. Connie has in her office drawer, she has this little, she bought it years ago and I love it. Because every once in a while I'll spill something on my clothing. Just every once in a while. And sometimes you can really see it. It's very visible, but sometimes, like if I'm wearing pants like this and I spilled something on it, you might not be able to detect it, all right? And so the idea here is these guys, listen, they may be detectable, but they may not be, according to Peter. They're dirty or filthy spots, and then he uses the term blemishes. This is a word that describes a scab or a defect, right? Well, um... Do you know I have a scab right now? I'm not going to show it to you. You can't tell that from looking where you are. But I have one right here. Right on my ankle. I was weeding this last week, and a rock hit me, and it hurt. And I was bleeding out, right? It was, blood was everywhere, right? <laughs> Maybe not bleeding out, but, <laughs> but it was bleeding. And... Do you know what has happened? There's a scab that formed there. Now you can't see it, but it's there. And you get what Peter's saying? They're in their midst. They're not always seen. Sometimes they are, but not always. He says they're blemishes, they're stains. Um, and then notice at the end of the verse, he says, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Now, that word carouse means to feast or to eat with. And so, obviously, Peter has an event in mind. And that's, remember I told you earlier, I believe he has this love feast in mind. And we're going to see that he even talks uh, a little more deeply about it, in Jude, or Jude talks a little bit more deeply about it. So, it means to feast or to eat with. And so, they did that on a regular basis. And part of that, as I said earlier, was about coming together to remember the Lord's death. Um, Jude gives us a little 
clearer picture of this. Now, this is interesting language that Jude uses. These men are hidden reefs. They're, say it this way. They're rocks under the surface that are danger to a vessel, but a vessel can't always see the rocks. You know, I'm built this way to pay attention. I pay attention. I'm watching people all the time. You're like, you watch me all the time? All the time. I watch people. I wa- I li- actually, I like watching people. No, years ago, i tell you the story. Years ago, I enjoyed going to Six Flags. And I got on this ride one time. And um, all I remember is there was another person in, on the ride with me. And she's in the room today. It's not my wife. But she's in the room today. And we're going down this, we, we got to the top of the ride, and we were supposed to go really far down, and I thought we were going to kind of be in the middle or whatever. We ended up looking face down, right? Face down. And I'm thinking, Lord, if you will, please get me off this ride. I'll never do it again. And I became a watcher. I let, listen, the kids that day this witness will tell you this. The kids that day, they went on and they did their Six Flags things. Praise God, let them have fun. I did my thing, which became eating cashews, sitting on the bench, and drinking a Coke. I was a watcher. Boy, Nidge, have you ever done that at one of those theme parks? Sit on a bench and watch people? Ooh, there's some interesting people in this world, right? Well, you know what? The Lord wants us to be watchers. He wants us to be watchers. We have to be careful, right? You may not even be on your radar, but we need to be careful as it relates to those who may be even among us who are not proponents of the gospel and the word of God. He says, these men are sunken rocks in your love feast. Now notice the way he characterizes them. That's pretty strong language. When they feast with you without what? Fear. There's no fear. Now, ultimately, fear ultimately points to what? Fear of God. They have no fear. They have no fear. Question, do we have a good, healthy fear of the Lord? Especially as it relates to our own behavior. He says, they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. So here he highlights two things. The result of them being without fear means this. They only care about themselves. They're only concerned about themselves. Um, They're not concerned about anyone else. You know, the Lord cares about our behavior. Do you know that? He cares about you, and he cares about me, and he cares about how we behave. So I was thinking, you know, here Peter is describing the way these guys are in the context of the love feast, and I begin to think, well, okay, that's good to know. But if you go back to 1 Corinthians 11, there's an example of believers who aren't behaving properly at a love feast. I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll we'll, uh, close our time in this book this morning. 1 Corinthians 11. Because I was thinking, you know, as we go through this, and I told you this a couple weeks ago, we can talk about the characteristics of these false teachers, and we need to do do that. We need to be aware of who they are and their tendencies. And as we're looking at this morning, we'll look at next week their behavior we know we don't be, need to be like them. But that doesn't mean, guys, that we don't struggle with things ourselves. 
And in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul highlights a church who was struggling in this area. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in the context here, there's the love feast going on. Verse 17 of chapter 11 is where we are. Notice what Paul says. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. Imagine being the one reading this letter. Gee, let's stop there, right? But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. That is a sad statement. Because when believers come together, it should be for the better. Notice what he says. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, ecclesia, called out ones, believers, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, he says, I believe it. Well, you go back to chapter, chapter 3, you know there was divisions in the church at Corinth. By the way, that's a sad commentary. Is it not? But listen to me. One of the things that, I, I want to interject this. One of the things that we pray about as a staff, and we pray about it as elders, is for unity in the body of Christ. And it's a very important prayer. And I would encourage you to engage in that. It's important to be unified. And Paul says these guys had divisions. Notice verse 19. For there must also be factions among you in order that those who are approved may have, have become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Look at this. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. They're selfish, and they're out of control. That's what he's saying. Verse 21. He says, what? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? In other words, if you don't want to share, stay home. Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? He says, in this I will not praise you. I won't praise you. Notice what he says. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, now notice this, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a witness. Therefore, because of this, he says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And that's why verse 28 is there, but let a man examine himself. And within this church at Corinth, there was drunkenness and selfishness. Now, is that the way the church of God is to behave? Answer, no. As a body of believers, guys, think about this. We are to share together, right? We're to share together. We're to be interested in one another. You go back to in the book of Acts, in the early church, they shared together. They were a community, right? Um, and that's exactly what needs to be set forth by us in terms of our behavior. We don't need to be drunk like they were drunk. You know, 
There's a, um, just on, as a side note, you know, people ask the question consistently about drinking. What do we know about drinking? Don't be what? Drunk. But you can put a lot of things in there, right? In that Ephesians 5 verse. Don't be drunk, but be what? Filled with the Spirit of God. The issue in the believer's life is the control of the Holy Spirit. And so what these guys needed, they needed the Spirit of God to control them. That Listen, that's the answer to incorrect behavior for the believer. We need to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Chuck Swindoll writes this about believer's behavior. He says, in terms of one's behavior, there should be a healthy fear of the Lord. Too often we justify bad behavior by saying things like, that's just the way I am. Or I'm only human. I remember talking one time to a fellow about spiritual gifts. And he said, that, um, do you think people have more than one spiritual gift? I said, oh, yeah, I think, I, I think that can happen, absolutely. He said, well, I don't have the gift of mercy. I said, okay. I said, but you are merciful, right? Because just because you don't have the gift doesn't mean you don't need to exhibit mercy, correct? I mean, there are a lot of excuses. And we could fold our hands, well, I just can't be like that. Well, you know what? You're right. You're on the right track. You can't be, but with the help of the Lord, you can be. Chuck Swindoll says, God wants us to model our lives after Jesus, to live as he lived, to walk as he walked, to talk as he talked. He, my friends, writes this, he gave us a biblical example of the way you and I should behave. So you go back to 2 Peter and you look at this text and Peter say, listen, these guys are stains in their spots. They're hidden reefs at your love feast. That's who they are. That's their behavior. And then you come to verse 14. Let me just introduce this and we'll close this morning. Look at verse 14. He says, having eyes full of adultery and that never cease from sin. I think I can finish. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Um, the phrase, eyes full of adultery, means this. Their eyes were serving constantly as instruments of lust. That's a pretty strong designation there. Their eyes served constantly as instruments of lust. Well, we know what Jesus said about that. If a man looks on a woman to lust after her, he has committed adultery in his heart. You say, well, how do I know when I'm doing that? Well, let me give you a real simple, simple formula. Men and women, if you're looking more than once, you're lusting. Something's going on, right? Um, we have to be careful. But we, need to, we need to examine our own hearts and our own lives. Jesus says if a man looks on a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery in his heart. And then he uses the phrase, Peter does, eyes that never cease from sin. This means that they continually sin with their eyes. <laughs> they continually sin with their eyes.
How many of you would admit this morning that our eyes can be a problem? Do you want to admit that part? That's pretty simple to admit, right? Our eyes can be a problem. And I want to close this morning with this piece of help and an example. You know what the help for us is? This is pretty funny. I was looking for a quote. Like, okay, so a quote on this issue of how do you, how do you overcome this problem? <laughs> I found one. You know where it was? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It wasn't John MacArthur or Chuck Swindoll or John Walbert. It was the Apostle Paul. And you know what he says about immorality or sexual sin? He said, run. He said, run. Sexual sin, listen, you know what it does, guys? It divides families. Do you know that? It divides families. Sexual sin divides families. You know what it does for you personally? It takes you into the gutter. You say, yeah, but I just looked one time. Well, hey. What happens the next time? Listen to me. Satan is our adversary. And he is going to tempt you. That's what's going to happen. Paul says, flee immorality. We have an example of the way that's done. And I like this. I want to close with this. Go, go with me in your Bibles to Genesis. You guys know the, the story here of Joseph. But there's something in here that I don't know that's emphasized enough. And I'll close with this. Genesis, the 39th chapter. Now, we, all, we know, right, that Joseph has been sold into slavery. Well, he certainly didn't know the rest of the story that was in front of him, did he? <laughs> um, obviously, his brothers didn't either. Look at this. Now, Joseph had been taken down, verse 1, to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, uh, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. Underline that. The Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. And it came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. Wow. You know, look at that. Wow. <laughs> and, with it, and with him around, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Right? By the way, you read Genesis. Genesis, you do devotions in Genesis. Man, there's a lot of stuff going on in Genesis. There's a lot of sin going on in Genesis. But this is one example, man, I love this example, where 
Joseph truly did fear the Lord. Notice verse 8, but he refused and said to his master's wife, behold with me, uh, behold with me around, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There's no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except who? You. Except you. He's, all right, except you. Withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How many of you have a wife? How many of you have a husband? Right? There's a lot of hands out there. Guys, can I just encourage you that we need to be faithful to the one God's given us? Now notice what it says at the end of verse 9. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Let's read that again. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Who was in the mind of Joseph? The Lord. Who did he fear? The Lord. So how in the world did he do it? You go on and read it. He's running every single day away from her. Every day. I read that and I'm encouraged by it. Because you know what, guys? You know what it tells me? There can be victory in the Christian life. And so many people are out there and they say, oh, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't. We can with the help of the Lord. These guys, as Peter writes, were characterized as people who constantly sinned with their eyes. And I would close by saying this, Lord, help us to be men and women who are disciplined with our eyes. And help us, help us, Lord, help us every single day because we need the help every single day. Every single day. I'll close with this statement. Victory plus laxity equals catastrophe. We need to be careful that we're not one of the ones that say, I could never go down that road. Because, listen to me, we can go down that road. And we will go down that road if we do not daily depend on the Spirit of God to guide our every step. Let's pray together. Lord, these uh, words that Peter uses aren't like really encouraging words. They're hard to get through, really, to be honest. Um... But what it's done for me, I don't know what it's doing for these guys here. They may be really ready to get through chapter 2. But what it's doing for me is it's causing me to think about my behavior, my attitude, the way I am. Because I would have no problem saying to any man, I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the question becomes, how's my attitude and all that? What's my behavior like? 
to sum up their behavior, they were godless. Lord, help us to be godly. Help us to be men and women that are set apart to you in our behavior. The Lord, everywhere, this is, and I think we forget this sometimes, but there's nowhere to hide from you. And so you see everything that we do. And so I pray as we come together that, Lord, our behavior would be one described as selfless, that Christ would be at the center of our minds and our actions. And as it relates to our bodies, that, Lord, um, we would recognize as believers that that our bodies belong to you and that we need to honor you as Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we need to be separate in our behavior we don't need to look like the world one iota and I'm just so encouraged that there was a pastor, a shepherd named Peter who was concerned about their growth but equally concerned about those who would impact that growth. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be led by your Spirit on a daily basis as we go through this world that is godless. And Lord, that we would emphasize to our children, right? It's that little song we sung when we were little kids, be careful with your eyes what you see. Be careful, little hands, what you touch, little, your feet where you go. Because, Lord, people are watching us. Help us to be good examples of what a true believer in Jesus Christ looks like. And we know, Lord, it's going to be challenging every day. But, wow, I want to be like Joseph who feared you and who ran from the evil. God, help us to be Josephs that when presented with whatever it is there that's tempting, that, that we look at you. You're the standard. You're holy, holy, holy. And you've called us, as Peter wrote in his first letter, to be holy ourselves in all our behavior. God, we need your help to do that. Can't do it without you. And I make my prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Thad. Let's, uh, let's stand as we close in this last song. Uh, Jesus and his redemption for us. You know, he's delivered us completely from the penalty of sin by grace through faith. Believing in him, what he did on the cross delivers him, delivers us from that. And as Thad was just talking about, we uh, can be through the power of the Holy Spirit delivered now from the power of sin. But I, the more I walk with the Lord, the older I get, I'm so excited about that day when I'll be fully delivered from even the presence of sin. And I can just fully worship the Lord Jesus without anything in the way. It says uh, that we will be like him for we will see him as he is. So.
let's just uh, let's just end with a, a message of hope in uh, the next stage, the next thing that we have to look forward to in Christ uh, coming for His church. Yeah.